Using an X-Acto knife to precisely trim a poster made for these BNP podcasts, Madison faithfully uses her visual design gifts to help us create a better podcast each and every week. I love it when people discover how to use their unique gifts for the kingdom of heaven. Hey, it's Andy, and this is the 27th episode of BNP, Biblical Narratives Podcast. Biblical detail, historical context that puts you in the action. Looking across the table, I see my daughter Madison faithfully working away at a project we conceptualized a few weeks back. In case you didn't know, Maddie does the photo work and the image design for the thumbnails that go on each podcast. Each week, she makes herself available to take silly photos of me, transfer them to Adobe InDesign, and create finished thumbnails for each podcast we create. In short, Maddie has made herself fatter, faithful, available, teachable, and responsive. She has taken ownership of an important part of what we do each week. I certainly don't have her skill set with this, so to watch her make something better each and every week is really cool to see. Her gifting is different than mine, but every bit as important. In like manner, we see that John Mark's gifts are different. In this narrative, we encounter Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark walking from town to town along the southern coast of the island of Cyprus, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven to those in each community. Here, Paul identifies some concerns about John Mark's readiness for missionary work and gives him a foretaste of the challenges yet to come. So with that, let's get started. Strolling under a sprawling oak grove nearby the home of his parents, Barnabas stops to grab a stem of a thin weed to chew on before catching up to Paul, while Paul skims his hand over the top of the high grass. Now what? Barnabas asks. (laughs) Paul replies, That's the question, isn't it? You know we need to move on, yes? Yes, Barnabas says. I wasn't planning on sticking around here for too much longer. I love my parents and all, but I think the group of believers have been encouraged by our time here. They certainly have had a growth spurt, Paul reflects. What started with, what, 20 or so believers has grown by at least another, say, 20 or so? That sounds about right, Barnabas smiles at this. I believe that's about how many we baptized. Looking over at Paul's face, Barnabas senses something to be off. What's really on your mind? Deep in thought, Paul musses his own hair. I'm that easy of a read, huh? (laughs) Today? Yes, Barnabas says. Grabbing a low extending branch of an enormous oak tree, Paul climbs to take a seat. Okay, so here's the deal. I think we're off to a good start. And I do think we need to keep moving from city to city in hopes to strengthen the existing small churches or even to start churches in cities that may not have anything going on. Swing his legs, Paul continues. Yet leaving these infant churches to fend for themselves is a scary proposition. He lets that statement sit for a moment. The church here in Salamis has mostly Jewish believers right now, and as we've learned, with those who have been bound by the law of Moses, it takes some time for them to learn about what it means to experience freedom in Christ. Barnabas only nods and listens. Looking directly at Barnabas, Paul continues, Look, you know how difficult it was in Antioch to shape that church of both Jews and Gentiles. Getting along wasn't exactly their strong suit. 
It took us over a year of solid training to help smooth things over between those two groups. Gesturing in the general direction of Salamis, Paul goes on, And we want to leave these people without a well-trained shepherd? Hunched down over his knees, Barnabas uses a sandal to etch a shape in the soft dirt at the base of the oak. Barnabas takes his time and processes Paul's concern. Yeah, I, I get it. He pauses. So, where does the Spirit of God play into this? I knew you'd bring that up, Paul responds. Yet, you know you needed to hear it, Barnabas says. Look, I know this is uncomfortable for both of us. I realize leaving them to themselves without providing a teacher isn't ideal. Yet, we have to come back to one primary truth. Is this our work or God's? Do you really think that you care more about their souls than God? It would be easy enough for us to stick around and to do here what we did in Antioch, but that isn't what God is calling us to do right now. That's not why we've come here. We have to be faithful to our purpose, to what the elders in Antioch commissioned us to do. Please don't tell me you're second-guessing Jesus' call in your life. Remind me to why I like you, Paul responds. Barnabas laughs. One more thing. Where God guides, he will be faithful to provide. If the Holy Spirit dwells within those who have come to know Jesus over these past weeks, then he will raise somebody or an entire group to co-labor in the work beginning here. Letting Paul process this, Barnabas eventually says, One last thing. As they remain faithful to the Spirit of God, he will be faithful to teach and correct them as needed. Besides, you need me. Jumping down from the branch, Paul slaps Barnabas on the back. Oof, Barnabas gripes. You think you're going to qualify for sainthood with that? (laughs) Laughing, Paul responds. Too late, brother. What's done is done. Walking back to the home, Paul asks, Do you think John Mark is ready for our next leg? John Mark? What do you mean? A surprise Barnabas asks. Admiring the olive grove behind the home, Paul then looks at Barnabas and shares. I don't know. He has taken quite a liking to your mom and dad and has mentioned a few times how much he misses being back in Jerusalem. I just wonder if his heart is in this. Hmm, I haven't noticed, Barnabas responds. Maybe this is exactly what he needs, though. Paul nods as they walk towards the home. Ma, Barnabas does his best to calmly address his mother. I thought we made it clear that we were only here for a few weeks. It was wonderful to see you and dad, but we've got our work ahead of us. Feeling slighted, Barnabas's mother retorts, Like a flicker of candlelight, my only son has shown up but for a small window of time and would leave his mother to die. Looking up from the table in the middle room, Paul smiles knowingly at Barnabas. Exasperated, Barnabas replies as sympathetically as he can, Ma, you're not going to die anytime soon. He goes to hug her and holds her shoulders. You're strong and have much, much life in you yet. Every time you leave, I die a little inside, she replies. That's a low blow, Ma, Barnabas replies. Entering into the room and standing behind Barnabas's mother, John Mark says, I like it here. You fed us so well, far better than what we're used to. Barnabas gives a really look at John Mark. Pulling herself back from her son, Barnabas's mom turns and looks at John Mark with a look of gratitude. Now that boy understands what it means to live comfortably, and she looks back at Barnabas and cups his face in her hands to appreciate what a mother can do for her boy. 
Barnabas glares at John Mark, who immediately realizes his mistake for chiming in. Looking to meet Barnabas's disapproving eyes, John Mark shrugs and shakes his head, as if to say, What did I say? In hopes of making peace, Barnabas looks his mother in the face. Ma, you are truly a wonderful human being, of which I am forever in your debt. I thank you for raising me, and I am truly grateful for your nurture, your care, and the thankless, dutiful service you carried out for Dad and me. He pauses and extends his arm to hold her shoulders. Ma, you have raised me to be used of God, to be purposeful in life, and to make a difference in the world, one that you would be proud of, right? She stares at the floor. This is that time, Ma, Barnabas says. Please, let me make you proud. A tear streams down her cheek. Rising before dawn, Paul nudges both John Mark and Barnabas from their sleep and says, Hey guys, if we want to reach Paphos by nightfall, we need to get going soon. Thanking their host who provided them some leftover bread from the meal they shared on the previous day, the three wave goodbye and begin walking towards the edge of Kurion. The road climbs a small bluff which provides a scenic view over the bay and the great sea beyond. The sun casts a long shadow from the eastern sky. John Mark takes in the view and says, It seems so quiet this morning. It does, Paul responds. Pointing towards the bay, he says, Look how placid the waters are in the bay near the city. There doesn't seem to be a ripple. John Mark looks intently. John Mark, I got a question for you, Paul states. It's been nearly two months since we've left Antioch and come to Cyprus. Looking at John Mark's body language, Paul sees him processing. It's been even longer since you've been home in Jerusalem. You've seen God do a lot with and through all of us over the past several months. So I'm wondering what you're processing in all of this. Is this what you expected to be doing? Paul then glances at Barnabas, who recognizes this as an important question for the younger John Mark to answer. It's been good, John Mark blurts out. He then pauses for further thought. Take your time to think about it, Paul responds. (laughs) We've literally got all day, he laughs. There isn't much shade on the side of the island, is there, Barnabas says, as he readjusts his head cloth to better block out the sun. Estimating it to be mid-afternoon, Paul responds, yeah, it's pretty warm out. Dressing in layers can be a little challenging when you have such temperature changes throughout the day. How much longer, John Mark asks. Sensing John Mark to be tired, Paul looks at Barnabas, who knows what Paul's thinking about with their younger sojourner. Barnabas looks ahead, alongside the road. Well, from Curious to Paphos is about 35 miles. Barnabas pauses and looks at the position of the mid-afternoon sun. Well, barring any unforeseeable problems, I suspect we'll be there by nightfall. However, you can check to see on any of the milestones we pass. Having something to anticipate, both John Mark and Barnabas keep on the lookout for the next stone on the side of the road. After walking some distance, Mark frowns looks around, and says, I know we've walked for more than a mile. Barnabas laughs. They don't come every mile, John Mark. They only show up on occasion. Sometime we may only encounter two or three on a road between two cities. I think we've already passed two so far. Within an hour, the three pass by such a milestone and take a moment to examine it more closely. Patting John Mark on his left shoulder, Barnabas says, See, we're getting close. This should be our last leg. Let's, you know what, we should get moving. Coming alongside John Mark on his right, Paul looks at the milestone and says, Yeah, we should go. As they begin walking again, Paul asks John Mark, 
So you've had much of the day to think about my question. It would be good to hear from you about what you're thinking. Nodding his head, John Mark finally agrees. Yeah, we're a long ways from home, he says. It's not easy to move about from place to place, sometimes not having the nicety of a warm bed to rest in at night. Yeah, Barnabas agrees. The work we do can be quite uncomfortable. Simple things like food and water can sometimes be hard to come by when you're moving from city to city like we do. The days are long, and the nights often promise little reward for rest, Paul says. I get it. Traveling is not easy. But for us, there's an added set of issues. John Mark nods his head. Like getting ran out of town on occasion? Barnabas laughs at this. Yeah, there's definitely that, he says while sticking his thumb out at Paul, especially when you're with this guy. Paul laughs and says, hey, I shall do what I must. Turning to John Mark, Paul asks, John Mark, I would imagine that Peter or the others shared this sort of thing with you, or maybe you experienced this firsthand when you spent time with Jesus. What's that, John Mark asks. Well, Paul responds, how as followers of Jesus, we often end up sacrificing our own comforts or even interests to follow him. I get what you're saying, John Mark responds. Yes, Peter, James, and John have all told me their stories of discomfort and hardship. I've even seen it myself. They shared how Jesus went to a number of nearby villages to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, including Nazareth, which is where he grew up. Those who knew him as a boy were impressed by his teachings, but to accept him as the chosen one of God? Oh, they weren't about to do that, so they ran him out of town. Oh, man, I'm sensing a theme here, Barnabas laughs. Remembering more, John Mark continues. Peter told me how Jesus commissioned him and the other disciples to proclaim how the kingdom of heaven had arrived to Israel. So, without money or extra clothes, they went out in groups of two to a bunch of Jewish villages further away from the Galilee. Some walked as far as Judea. They entered into synagogues as well as local gathering spots urging people to repent because God's kingdom had arrived. Beyond their teaching, though, God gave each group of disciples the power to heal those who were sick and cast out demonic spirits. Their message was stamped by the authority and power of God. John Mark continues, Those who welcomed them would want to hear more and offer meals and shelter, yet others saw them as heretical sorcerers. Paul nods and says, Look, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Barnabas adds, But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged by whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. Which is exactly what happened to Stephen and what was about to happen with Peter before the angel rescued him, John Mark muses. Paul confirms, Guys, what we experienced in Barnabas's hometown of Salamis and the other coastal towns of Kidion, Amethyst, and Curion so far have been telling of what others will think of us and our message. This has been the norm so far. Some will love us, while others will want to kill us. It was no different for me in Damascus when some of the younger disciples put me in a basket and lowered me down the city wall before dawn, or Jerusalem when Barnabas here, along with Peter and James, had to quietly usher me out of town and send me on a boat to Cilicia. The three walk in silence for a while before Paul speaks up. He then looks at John Mark and asks, This life on the road, John Mark, it's not only a life of day-to-day -day hardship, 
It's far harder because I know some will do whatever they can to ruin us and hinder our message, even if they're confronted by the power of God. Rubbing a sore and sunburnt left arm, Barnabas agrees. Mm Mm-hmm. John Mark, Paul asked bluntly, are you willing to commit yourself to this kind of life? Is this something you can see yourself doing for years at a time, being away from home and those of whom you love? John Mark says nothing. It's neither a life of comfort nor even foreseeable reward, Paul continues. I have no idea what our work will produce over the long run. We might be utter failures by our own assessment, but we're simply called to respond to God's promptings, believing He is using us for something bigger than our own work. While some have enjoyed seeing the promises of God come to pass in their own lives, many have not and have even been tortured if they didn't recant their faith. Yet they trusted that God would reward them for their faith. It's a life of being faithful, available, teachable, and responsive to the direction of God's Spirit. He pauses. John Mark, are you okay with this? We're going to stop here for today. I'm going to ask the same question that Paul asked of John Mark. Are you okay with this? The life of being a Christ follower isn't an easy one. And we will certainly see things become much more challenging in the coming chapters. I love Luke's writing of the various God sightings throughout the 28 chapters of Acts. Acts covers around 30 years of time, beginning with the ascension of Jesus around 33 AD and closing with Paul's house arrest in Rome in the mid-60s AD. As you might imagine, moving from town to town in faraway lands takes much time when traveling by foot. So, it's understandable why Luke wouldn't cover the day-to-day mundane experiences in his writings. But have you ever thought about where the basis of his writings come from? While journeying from town to town, the disciples would share their experiences and perspectives with one another, while walking story after story would be shared with much learning to be done. With John Mark, likely to be the first one to write his gospel account sometime in the mid-50s, 50 AD, uh, much of his writings would have stemmed from his time spent with Peter, James, John, and several of the other disciples who remained in Jerusalem. Even Barnabas would have much to share after spending significant time with Peter and the others. On long daily walks, like the 30-plus mile walk between Curion and Paphos on the island of Cyprus, John Mark, Paul, and Barnabas would have used this time to share their personal experiences with one another. But let's get to the heart of the matter, though. Paul assesses that John Mark isn't necessarily cut out for missionary work, whereas Barnabas thinks he is. This disagreement comes to a head in Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas part ways over this very matter. So who's right? Well, maybe a better question to ask is this. How does John Mark find his area of service for the kingdom of heaven? Maybe John Mark wasn't cut out to be a missionary, but it turns out that his contribution would be every bit as important. John Mark seemed better fit for writing. So write he did. And 2,000 years later, we still enjoy the fruits of his labor in an account called the Gospel of Mark. Later in hindsight, even Paul recognized John Mark's ministry as vital, 2 Timothy 4.11. Did Paul have a change of heart? Definitely. Most likely, he saw the fruit of Mark's writings being shared throughout the churches in the late 50s and early 60s, and there is little doubt that Mark's work made for a big difference in the lives of many. What's your part in the advancement of the kingdom of heaven? 
God uses all types for his larger kingdom purposes. Some are seen by many, whereas many are witnessed by few. A well-known speaker or entertainer for the kingdom of heaven may be known by millions. On the other hand, many of those who come alongside the oppressed and help in small, everyday ways may not be noticed by anybody except the ones being helped, and maybe they don't even know. So which is more important? Well, we tend to favor celebrities, as in many cases they are high-profile individuals who have inspired or encouraged us at some point in time. That's a good thing. But God celebrates in other ways, in large part because the generosity of His faithful, available, teachable, and responsive people who seek to serve others can make a huge difference over the long haul, enough to change a culture and the world around us. So, what do we mean by fatter? It's really simple. These are service-minded attitudes God seeks from any of those He intends on using. These are all responses that come from a spirit-yielding follower of Christ. So let's break it down. F. Faithful. In small, everyday ways, we continue to be loyal followers of Christ, ever learning and seeking out the wisdom and direction of God's Spirit. A. Available. Opportunities arise often and God places those opportunities in front of us to elicit a loving response from us. T. Teachable. I've said it before. Be the dumbest in the room. By humbly learning from others around you, over time you may become a wellspring of wisdom into the lives of others. R. Responsive. Wholehearted enthusiasm goes a long way. To be candid, all four of these have challenged me over the years. But being an optimistic encourager hasn't exactly been my strength. God has had to chisel away my highly sarcastic spirit and cynical mind, and this has been a slow process. The good news, I guess, is that there has been some progress in this area. But let's wrap this up. God is looking for fatter servants, faithful, available, teachable, and responsive people who desire to be used by Him for His kingdom purposes. When we make a regular practice of yielding to the Spirit of God, God grows these fruitful attitudes within us. These fruitful attitudes lead to acts of love and service in the lives of those around us, which moves them one step closer to seeing the goodness of God and wanting Him in their own lives. In nearly every Kingdom of Heaven act we carry out, we don't fully know or appreciate the outcomes of our work, but we may take rest in the knowledge that this is God's business and that He is working through us. Want to become fatter? First, commit yourself to learning more about Jesus. Commit to reading Hebrews, a letter in the New Testament with us. That's something we're doing this week and the next couple of weeks. Commit to joining us or maybe another healthy church home where you see a positive example of Christ followers at work. The more you learn, the more you'll see how good God is. Second, become sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit of God. Over time, your yieldedness to Him will grant Him permission to begin growing these fruitful attitudes in you. Well, that's it for now. May you grow fatter, faithful, available, teachable, and responsive to the Spirit of God in your life this week.